just want to uh, welcome all those who are watching online. Uh, I, I know that there are some families that are not here th- this morning. They are sick. They're struggling. I just want to welcome you. Uh, I pray that God would give you a speedy recovery. And thank you that uh, you're still able to tune in to hear and to worship with us. So we, we are in the week two of our series called Protecting Our Future. And last week we looked at the reality that we face and the job that we have as parents and leaders to shape the next generation. We looked at kind of the reality of what we're up against. And I, I really wanted to emphasize very strongly where we are and what we face as parents and leaders. If we want to see our children carry on the faith that God has given us in Christ, that it's, it's not going to come without some persistence. It's not going to come without a fight. It's not going to come without some diligence. And so we really, I, I really wanted to kind of lay that foundation so we would know what we're up against and what our calling is as parents and as leaders. And, and what we're doing is, is we're walking through Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going through this chapter. And this is the admonition of the Lord to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land, before the Joshua generation is raised up and they go into the promised land. This is after the Exodus. This is after they've been set free from from Egyptian slavery. And so now God is giving them the criteria. What is it going to take for you as a people, as my people, to take what I've done in you and to pass it on to the next generation? And so last week, as I said, we've looked at what we're up against, what the battle is, what the fight is, and how we have to persevere. But this week, we're going to, we're going to start where I believe is the foundation of generational impact. So I've called the message this morning, I've titled it, The Heart of the matter, the heart of the matter. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the privilege of gathering together and worshiping you and to worship you through the hearing of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people here today in in clear and profound ways. I pray, Lord, that wherever we are in our life, that we would recognize the truths of your word concerning our heart, concerning our passions and our loves. And I pray, God, that you would transform us. Lord, I pray today that you would help me to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So does your spouse care more about the things that you do for them or about your heart of love and commitment to them? What do you think? Do they care more about the purse, does your, does your wife, husbands care more about the stuff you buy for her, the things you do for her, or does she care more about your heart of love for her? And, and the wives would say, well, I feel the love when they, he buys me the stuff. You're like, don't mess this up, it's a good gig. <laughs> but I think we would all say that whether it's husbands to wives or wives to husbands, or parents to children, that at the end of the day, it's not about the stuff, it's not about the houses or the cars or the purses or the golf clubs or whatever else your hobby is you love to do. It's not about all the things that your spouse or your your loved ones, your family can do for you. It's about knowing that they love you beyond anything in this life. Is that not true? How much impact does that have for you when you know that your your, your husband, your wife, your, your son, your daughter your family, your, your friends, those that God's called you to be friends with, that, that you know that they love you, 
That even if, even if, even if you don't ever get anything else from them, the fact that you know that they are committed to you at the depths of their heart, that's, that's the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is not what we do, it's who we are. The heart of the matter is not all the works we do to prove our love to somebody. It really is the, the heart of the matter is our actual love for them and the communication of that. And so this is what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the heart of the matter in this exhortation to the leaders of the nation of Israel. Before Israel goes into the promised land, God is addressing them and he's telling them, he's telling them, listen, listen, I want something, I have something to tell you that if you're going to pass on this faith, And this impact, if it's going to last in your life as parents and leaders and last into your son and your son's sons and your daughters and your daughter's daughter, this is what's going to have to be true of your life. Let's look at the text. Deuteronomy 6. We covered verses 1 through 3 last week, but listen to this. This It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These verses right here, these three verses, I believe there are two imperatives for us as parents, for us as spiritual leaders, two imperatives in, this, in these three verses, are two imperatives for us as leaders of a nation, leaders of a church, of a family, of a school, in the home, wherever. Two things that if we will do as leaders, before we talk about how we're going to train our kids next week, you look at verse 7 and on. Before we talk about that, we need to talk about us as leaders first. So the first imperative we see right here in this text is this, is that we would listen to the one true God. Listen to the one true God. Look at verse, back at verse 4 of Deuteronomy 6. This is Moses is writing this. He's saying, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This word hear, it comes from the Hebrew word shema. Listen, and this word, Shema, this, this, this verses four through six here, this is, uh, uh, this is the Shema. This is the declaration that, that the Jewish, that Jewish people then and now, faithful Jews, would recite twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And these commands shall be on your heart. Do you remember sometimes you study in the Gospels where Jesus uh, rebukes the Pharisees? He talks about the your phylacteries are broad. And a phylactery would be like a, a leather box that the Pharisees would tie around their forehead and they would tie it around their arm. And inside those boxes would be these verses right here. And they're, they're, they're literally trying to make that true in their life. They're, they're putting the scriptures in front of them and they're reciting those scriptures twice per day. The, the Shema was a foundational understanding of the law of God for Israel. And it was, it was a reflection of the first of the Ten Commandments. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. So faithful Jews would recite that twice daily. And it's interesting, if, if, if we go on to the last word in, in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That word one is the, is the Hebrew word, it's the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis 2.24, where God says that, that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. The two shall become one. So the same word to describe two becoming one in Genesis is the same word to describe God. Moses is declaring that our God is one. But we know the biblical picture 
of God is that he is Trinity. He is Father, he is Son, he is Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but one God. Isn't that really neat? The same word to describe one, husbands and wives coming together to be one, diversity but unity, is the same word used to describe our God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Unity and diversity. There's one God, but the God of Scripture is revealed as Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen, O Israel. Listen, O people of God. There is only one God. This is what he's trying to get them to see. There's only one God. And during that time, they would have been surrounded by nations that worshiped multiple gods. Polytheistic, multiple gods. And, and God is telling his people, there's only one God and this is who I am. And you need to listen to me as the one true God. Do not be influenced by the nations all around you. And what, what happened to Israel after they got into the promised land? They forgot God. They intermarried with pagan nations. That's the history of Israel when you read through the Old Testament. And they worshiped what? Other gods. The beginning before they go into the promised land, he tells them, remember, listen, Israel. Listen, O people of God. There is only one God and I am it. And you will worship me only. You have no other gods before me. This stands as a reminder of God for, for God's people then and for us now that dwell in the middle of societies that worship many pagan gods. It stands as, as a reminder that all other so-called gods are nothing more than man's creation. And this is the key. This is the foundational key. This is the first imperative that God is giving to his people. You can't even get to the past your first generation Faith going on to the next unless us as leaders, we settle this in our heart that we are only going to worship the one true God. There's only one God. The false gods of this world will not get our worship. If it doesn't get, if we don't settle that as leaders, then we will never impact the next generation to, to love and to serve Christ. So how does this work out in our life? What are the gods of our society today? We don't, we don't have at least not very common that we, we create our own idols and we bow down to them and worship them. But what are, what are, what are the gods of our society today that we must not worship? What I think it's very, really straightforward. Money, sex, power, those tend to all go together. Athletics, how many people worship athletics? We worship we worship the athletes and the superstars and we worship sports in so many different ways in our life. Intellect. Intellect is something that people worship on the altar of intellect. Scientific advancements. It's interesting. I heard Jeff Bezos. He went, he went to space. But he really didn't go to space, did he? He didn't even orbit. It was 10 minutes. I'm thinking $28 million for the guy, the 18-year-old sitting next to him for 10 minutes in the air. It better be more than 10 minutes and a couple of minutes of doing flips with zero gravity, but that's another story. But he goes up, and he gets up however many miles, I think it was 60 miles up in the air, and he has the bird's eye view of the earth. And you know what Jeff Bezos said? He said, you know what I thought of when I saw this? That we are a little speck, and we need to take care of this planet. And I thought, okay, that's good. That's, that, that, that's true. But what's your next revelation? 
What's your next revelation? What are you going to worship at, Jeff Bezos? You just got to look at the whole earth and you got to see how small we are in comparison to the whole galaxy. And the only thing you can worry about are the trees and global warming and the melting polar ice caps. I'm, I'm, I'm just not trying to get political. I'm just trying to say that we will worship scientific advancement. And we will ignore God. Science will reveal God to us. But what do we do? We say, we say, we say, we, we will worship science and not the God who created science. Science is observation. We observe how powerful and majestic our God is. But, but that's a God of our society today. We worship science which reveals God instead of the God that science has revealed. We worship the environment, as I said We worship individual freedom of choice. These are the gods of our society. These are the gods. And if we as leaders and parents, if we're going to impact the next generation, we can't be deceived by these false gods. We can't be deceived by these false gods. We have to listen, oh, people of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is One, there's one God, one true God. Listen to the one true God. Listen to the prophet Isaiah. Speak to the folly of man-made gods. Isaiah 44, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Then it becomes fuel. So he talks about how a man goes to cut down some trees and some wood and, and the wood says it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and he warms himself. He takes the wood, he kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. Remember the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness? Where's Moses? Where's Moses? Where's Moses? They got together. They got Aaron. They said, hey, he's gone. We need a God to worship. Let's get all the gold. And they made a calf and they said, and Aaron said, here is your God. This is what we are left to ourselves. We are idolatrous. Verse 18, they know not, nor they, they know, speaking of these idols, they know not, they do not discern for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see in their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers nor is there knowledge or discernment to say half of it I burned in the fire. Also, I baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten and shall I make the rest of it an abomination? It's like, it's like he's got, the, the, the prophet is saying that people don't have the discernment to say the wood that I use to bake my food with, to warm myself, is the same wood I'm going to make a God with my hands and bow down and worship it? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? Speaking of the idol that he's holding. The Lord is reminding the nation of Israel, before you go into the promised land, you must understand that worship of me is the only way that you will be blessed and that your children will be blessed. 
The only way that we will live a blessed life, the only way that we will get in, that we will receive the promises of God and that our children will receive the promises of God is that we will reject the idols of this world. That we will not create idols for ourselves to worship. That we will worship the one true God. So when we're talking about protecting our future, parents, leaders, we're talking about protecting our future, which is our kids. The protection starts with us. It starts with us. Listen, O Israel. Listen, people of God. The Lord is one. One God. One true and living God. The generational blessings of God must first start with someone who decides that they will not bow down to the gods of this world. Who was it in your life that decided no more? There's somebody. You're here today because somebody said no more worshiping of false gods. It wasn't an idol they made from wood, they chopped down from a tree, but they were worshiping false gods one day, and one day they said, no more. Maybe, maybe you're the first generation that said no more, but some of you here today, you're a second or third or fourth generation. Somebody said, no more worshiping false gods. We're going to worship the one true God. We're going to worship Christ. And because of that decision, you are here today. It starts with someone who says, no more worshiping of false gods. No more worshiping money and sex and power and careers. And the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, man-made gods, we will worship the one true God. Look what Deuteronomy 7 says. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Isn't that so good? The generation that says enough is enough. We're going to worship the one true God. We're not going to live divided lives. That generation who makes that decision to follow after God, to follow after Christ, it says that the generational blessings of God will be passed on to a thousand generations. Amen? That's good news. The decisions of leaders will have direct impact on the future of those who are following. Isn't it so humbling to think about that people will follow you? Some of you here today may think, I don't think anybody's following me. Somebody's following you. It may be, maybe somebody that you don't know is even watching you. But people are following you. They're watching you. They're watching our decisions. Every time, every single service, and I'm standing right there, that is the weight that comes over me every single service. Pray that that never leaves me. The weight that comes over me that, that I have been entrusted by God, whoever God sends here, God has entrusted you for me to care for you, to take his word and to preach it to you. Right? What a great responsibility all of us have. No matter what that area of responsibility is, the reality that anybody would look at our lives and, and be inclined in any way to emulate us is so humbling. I've got a question for you. Have you ever been distracted with something while someone's trying to talk to you? Maybe even on Sunday morning while your pastor's trying to talk to you. You ever been distracted? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't notice if you're distracted. I notice if you sleep. But other than that, I don't really know what's going on. But have you ever been talking to somebody or somebody, you've been, somebody's been talking to you? I guess this is the way we would say it. And they know you're not paying attention. And 
I will say that it is not true that husbands are the only ones who do this. I'm sure women, you can do it too. But it, I think the stereotype really is true. I mean, look, if Estelle's trying to talk to me during Master's Week, good luck. She knows. She knows. Leave Ben alone. Or how many, I, I, there's so many times she'll be trying to talk to me, just regular conversation. And this is her phrase. You've heard me say this probably. And I'll, she'll be talking to me and, and she can tell I'm not paying attention. I'll look somewhere and she, she, she'll just stop talking. She just stops. I'm like, wait, what's going on? She says, you're not listening to me. And she says, listen to me with your face. <laughs> listen to me with your face. And she wants my undivided, what? Tension. She doesn't want me divided. This is what the Lord is telling the nation of Israel. You cannot be divided with your attention if you are going to lead the next generation to follow me. Hear, O Israel, be undivided. Be undivided. The gods of this world are going to clamor for your attention. They're going to clamor for your focus. And you must live an undivided life. Undivided devotion. Undivided commitment. Undivided worship. You know, those that follow us, and in particular our kids, they know what has our affection and our attention, don't they? They know. They know. Our kids know who or what we are devoted and committed to worship. They know who or what we are committed and devoted to worship. And so to lead the next generations into the promises of God, we as leaders must demonstrate what undivided devotion to the Lord looks like. We must demonstrate to them, this is what undivided devotion looks like. We honor the Lord first in this family. We go to church. We put him first. We honor the Lord the first day of the week. We honor him with our finances. We honor him with our time. We honor him in our community by reaching out to people who are less fortunate. We honor him by being patient and kind and loving to to each other and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We demonstrate what it looks like to those that are following us, what an undivided and a a devoted life to Christ looks like. And here's here's the truth. We cannot be shocked when our children adopt the same priorities that we demonstrate for them. That's positive and that's negative, right? We can't be shocked when all of a sudden your kid walks in and they take out the trash without you even asking. Don't be shocked. Don't faint. You've been teaching them. You've been training them. You can't be shocked when they, do, when they show good behavior. Because what? You've been working hard to teach them how to follow the Lord. But you also can't be shocked when your child demonstrates the bad behavior you've demonstrated to them. You guys see the power of that impact? They are watching. They are listening. Listen, O oh people of God. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. We cannot have other God-stealing worship that belongs only to Yahweh. And expect that those that are watching us do anything different than follow our example. If we chase after other gods, the God of sports, the God of power, the God of money, the God of career. Husbands, wives, if we, if we spend our lives devoting our lives to our career and our kids are on the back burner. We can't be at games. We can't be around. Don't be surprised when they grow up if they do the same thing to their kids. They model what they, they, they live what was modeled to them. This is why when Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, it's so profound. Paul says this, follow 
my example. Other times in your life, you look at your life and you think, do not follow me. We all have those times, don't we? And what do we do when we know we don't have an example to follow? By God's grace, we say what? I am sorry. I am sorry. I want to, just a little side note here. Parents, leaders, when you sin and you make a mistake against those that are following you, apologize. And what are you doing when you're apologizing? You're giving them an example to follow. You're showing them how God works in your heart and how you are convicted and that you can make mistakes, right? But, but how powerful of a statement. The Apostle Paul says, follow me. How bold is that? That is so humbling to think about. He says, follow me. But, but the kicker is this. As I follow the example of Christ. That's the ticket. That's the key. How are we going to live an undivided life that is worthy of people following us? How are we going to impact the next generation with the faith that God's given us? It's by following the example of Christ. And unfortunately, this is what Israel failed to do. We know the story. We know what happens. We read in, we read in Judges that a whole generation did not know the Lord and a whole generation abandoned the God of their fathers. We, we read that last week. This is what they failed to do. Why? Why did that happen? Because the fathers... The leaders did not live undivided lives. And the pagan society around them ate away at their devotion to the one true God. And who suffers when that happens? The the children. Children are the one who suffer. So this is the first admonition to us. If we're going to impact the next generation, hear, O Israel, listen, people of God, listen. Those that are called to lead the next generation, which is all of us, The Lord is the only God, and we must demonstrate an undivided devotion to Christ as examples for our children to follow after. Secondly here, here's the next imperative. Listen to the one true God with your whole life. So firstly, listen to the one true God, undivided devotion. But listen to the one true God with your whole life and from the depths of your heart. That's what it says there, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These words I command you shall be on your heart. We have to listen to the one true God, but, but we have to listen to the one true God with all of our it's interesting that word here it's the shema right but that word here or listen has both the picture of hearing with your ear and at the same time obeying so it's this word listener here is this is is one coin and on one side of the coin of listening and or hearing god is to actually listen with your ear but the other side of the coin is obedience the other side of the coin is obedience so to illustrate that has have is it someone ever rang your doorbell in your house? Ever rang your doorbell? Or, or, or I guess the way I worded it here is, have you ever rang your doorbell at your house because you left your keys inside? This will illustrate it better. I'm glad I looked at my notes. Have you ever done that? You left your keys outside, you knocked or you rang your doorbell, and nobody comes. Then you start, it's happened to me multiple times. <laughs> you start knocking you ring, you get your cell phone out, you're calling, 
no one is coming. And you find out later, they're watching TV, they're on their phones, video games, something going on. And you say, why didn't you listen? Why didn't you listen? They heard, but they didn't. They didn't listen. This is the picture. Hear, O Israel. You, you, you have to listen, but you have to obey. You have to obey. And this word obedience really means answering the door. That's the picture. Answering the door. To listen to God means you answer the door. You hear his call and you answer the door. Children, that's what it means to obey. It's not just hearing. It's answering the door. It's moving. The doorbell rings. Your mom says, do this. Your dad says, do that. You answer that doorbell. You obey. That's what it means to hear or to listen. That's what it means. You're not listening if you don't obey. And if you, do no, if you don't obey, it means you really didn't listen. How often have we said that to people, to our kids? You know, what's interesting is that the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, understood what it meant to obey God's law. They understood about the law of God. They understood about God's law and obedience to the law of God. And I want to show you a section here where some scribes and Pharisees, a Sadducee, they get together and they're trying to trap Jesus. Because Jesus is a threat to their power and to their authority. Jesus says the scribes and Pharisees, they, they sit on Moses' seat, meaning that they are the keepers of the law of God. And so they're trying to trap this threat, which is Jesus, with his words. They think that Jesus is coming to, to, to overthrow them and to bring a new law. So they think we're going to trap Jesus with his words. We're going to show people that he's trying to overthrow Moses. He's trying to overthrow the law of God. And these are people who understand obeying the law. Let's, let's, let's look at Mark 12. It says this, Mark 12, 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to, to Jesus to, to do what? Catch him in his words. They asked Jesus about paying taxes. They asked him about marriage and the resurrection. And it culminates with this. There's a teacher of the law. There's a teacher of the law. And this would better be described as a lawyer. So it wasn't just a regular Joe Blow Pharisee. This was a teacher. This was somebody who would have been an expert in the law. He was a lawyer, an expert in the law. And he's like, I've got Jesus. I've got something. I'm going to catch him. Look at Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. So they were listening. This guy was sitting back listening to this conversation and them trying to trap Jesus. He says, I got it. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all of the commandments, which one is the most important? Of all of the commandments, which one's the most important? So if you think, when you hear of all the commandments, what would you think he's talking about? The Ten Commandments, right? That's what you would think of. Of all the commandments, which one is the most important? But that's not what he was only talking about. You know, what's interesting is, is that the scribes and Pharisees took the Ten Commandments and they multiplied them to 613 laws. Some of them they considered light laws and some they considered weightier laws. And the 613 number, you're like, where'd that come from? The 613 number of laws, light laws and weightier laws, it's one law for every word of the Ten Commandments. Excuse me, for every letter of the Ten Commandments. One law for every letter of the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments. And this is what they did. They blew up law. So he's saying of all of the commandments, of all of the, the 613 commandments, which one 
is the greater. This man was hoping that Jesus would say something that is not in the law. He's hoping that he will undercut not only what Moses said in, in the Ten Commandments, but undercut their customs, their traditions, their laws. And that he'll make up a new law so they'd have opportunity to accuse him. What did, what's the answer that Jesus gave? Mark 12. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Done. They knew right there. That, that teacher of the law, he stepped back, he said, I thought I had him. This guy's smarter than I realized. What did Jesus do? He went to Moses. He went to Moses. What is the greater law? He went to Moses. How could a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, argue with Moses? They're the keepers of the, of the law of Moses. Jesus was a smart dude. He had it figured. He knew. But he was after something. What is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might or your strength. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying here, when he thinks, he thinks, they think they, they have him trapped. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, the, 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 the second law that he comes, that he gives as, as the second greatest is from, from Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Moses. He affirms the law of God and they can't argue anymore. And Jesus is saying something profound to them and to us. He's saying, yes, obey the Lord. Listen to Yahweh. But of all the laws, he says that love for God and love for others are the two greatest commandments. Jesus is saying, yes, do not follow after the gods of this present age. Worship the one true God, yes. But he is also saying the most important reality is having a relationship with God. What had the scribes and Pharisees done? When you remember the rebuke of the scribes and Pharisees that I've read a few times in the last few weeks, Matthew 23, he says, you're hypocrites. You do what is right on the outside, but on the inside, what, what are you on the inside? Dead men's bones. God did not create people just to obey rules and laws. He created people to, to have a relationship with them. So when God became man and walked the earth, When Jesus, the God-man, walked the earth and he rebuked those who were over the law, he says, you obey all of the law. He even said this. He says, in that rebuke in Matthew 23, he says, you tithe on your mint, your dill, and your cumin. You open your spice cabinet and you get the spices out and you take a tenth of that. He He said, that's good to do. But you've ignored the weightier matters of the law which is justice and mercy, love. And what's he saying there? He's saying that you are looking at the external works of what you do and I have always been about your heart. I've always been about being in relationship with you. Having a relationship with God has always been about the heart. It's never been about just obeying and listening and following the rules. It's always been about rule followers who follow because God has their heart. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of this new covenant reality long before Christ came. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. This is the covenant he's speaking of here. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. They went after other lovers, he's saying. They committed adultery on me, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with them. They broke a covenant. Oh, this is so good. I'm about to get really happy preaching here. This is so good. This is what mankind does. You know I'm excited when I'm not standing back there. This is so good. Listen, listen. We will always break covenant. Right? That's what humanity does. We always break covenant. But hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came, the prophet Jeremiah said that God's going to come and make a covenant. Isn't that powerful? It's not about the covenant we make with God. It's about the covenant that God makes with us. That, my brothers and sisters, my family, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about the covenant we make with him, but it's about what he has done for us. This is the covenant that I will make in those days, declares the Lord. I, I, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Amen? How will we impact the next generation for Christ? How will we have a generational faith? Yes, don't worship the false idols. There is only one God. There is only one God that is worthy of our worship. But the way in which we will impact the next generation is that these words and these commands that I command you shall be on your heart. This is the new covenant. This is the Christian life. Christ in us, a brand new heart. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, as I read that. New desires, Holy Spirit empowerment. Heart transformation, not just external conformity to rules and laws. How many of you you want your kids to obey you. I'm sorry, kids. We're going to talk about you a lot during this series. But how many of you want your kids to obey you? Right? You want them to, right? Sometimes our kids will obey even when they don't want to. Why will they obey us even when they don't want to? Why? Consequences, right? That They're going to get punished. You obey. And if you don't, here's the consequences. So make your choice. And ultimately, you really don't have a choice because <laughs> you're going to obey. And you know what, parents? That is perfectly okay with me. This is a dictatorship here. I'm not, this is not a democracy in my home. My kids obey. I said the rules. Why? I'm trying to teach them the fear of the Lord. Now, parents, we're never overbearing. We're never harsh. We don't yell. We don't exasperate our kids. We set the law. We give them the rules, and they obey. But what are we actually after? What do we want to see? We want to see that there's going to come a day when they obey because they want to. That's the point. Isn't that the point? They want to. We finally got their heart. And this is how generational faith is passed on. We, listen, we as parents and leaders cannot pass on a generational faith to our kids if it doesn't come from our heart. Kids smell a hypocrite quick. They know what we love. They know our affections. 
And they will, they actually, it's true, they will follow after your heart and your desires. But will it be the Lord? Or will it be other things? I believe the greatest impact we as parents and leaders will have on the next generation is to demonstrate for them a life that is genuine in our love for the Lord. Not perfect, but genuine in our love for the Lord. These commandments shall be on our hearts. So what are we wanting to pass on to our kids, to the next generation? Is it just obedience to the rules? Is it just a set of doctrinal statements? We want to make sure their doctrine's right, right? Got to have right doctrine. Is that all we want is a bunch of educated kids who know right doctrine, know about justification and sanctification, and know the clear doctrinal truths of Scripture? Is that all we're after? Because if that's all we're after, we'll create a bunch of religious Nazis. All they want to do is argue with people about right doctrine. No, we're not just trying to create people. Right doctrine matters. Yes, there is only one God. Don't ever let somebody deceive you and to say, it's just about loving Jesus. Just love Jesus and doctrine doesn't matter. No, look what the Lord said in Deuteronomy 6. He says, there is only one God. Doctrine matters. Clarity matters. But if that's all we give our kids, then we create religious kids who want to argue about doctrine when they get older, but have no love. In their heart. You can get your doctrine right. But not know the Lord. How do I know that? Satan and his demons have good doctrine. They have good doctrine don't they? But where are they? They know who God is. No man has seen God. You know who's seen God? Lucifer. He had right doctrine. He had better doctrine than we have. Oh, that's right. He had better doctrine than we have. But he didn't love God. He did not love God. What we are wanting to pass on to our children is a passionate love for the Lord and the compassion for others that follows. I went yesterday to the final day of the Hispanic VBS that happened here in Homa. And so I'm out there watching, and I wasn't able to go during the week with sermon prep and some other appointments that I had on the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so I get out there on Saturday. It's kind of the celebration day. They have a water slide, and, and they're cooking burgers for all the families. And there's like a, a demonstration, a show for the parents of what the kids learned during the VBS. And I was sitting down watching, and this is what was going over in my head as I was watching. And I'm just going to name na- a, a couple of names. And I know that there were other kids that were a part of this, so I, I saw you too, but these are the, what came up in my mind when I was processing this. But I, I saw, I saw uh, Bella Dishman, I saw Ada Young, and I saw Lucy Dishman. And they were up front, and they were dancing and giving the motions to the song that they taught to the kids for VBS. And it was hot out there. It was hot. And it, was, it was like, I've been to El Salvador a few times, and uh, or one time, but I've been to Mexico a few times and done programs like that in the heat. And, and this just felt even hotter than that. I don't know why. It was just hot. I had sweat dripping down. I'm looking at these girls and, and the thought crossed my mind. This is it. This is it. This is what it's about. This is why we do what we do as parents and leaders. Because what those parents and leaders, Billy and Jamie Dishman and the team that they had working with them for this, for, for this mission work here, 
They have a heart of love for the Lord. And you know what those kids are doing? They're watching their parents. They're watching their parents demonstrate this love for Christ into the community. And they're modeling that for their kids. And they're just up there. And they're, they're worshiping and they're demonstrating these motions. And you just see in their heart that they love to do what they're doing. That is what it's all about. That is what we are trying to model. We want to demonstrate for our kids what the text says here. Look back at the text. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. What does that simply mean? It means you love the Lord with every part of your life. This is what impacts generations to come. Heart, soul, and might or strength. The deepest part of who we are, that's our heart, our soul, the seat of our emotions. And with our might, our passionate pursuit, all of who we are, we love the Lord. I want to conclude with the conversation. This is it, last section here. I want to conclude with the conversation Jesus has at the house of a Pharisee to illustrate what it's all about. Luke 7 says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, she was a prostitute, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering and knowing his thoughts, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Jesus tells a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Isn't it beautiful? So many things to bring out, but that's a whole other message. But the phrase, He who loves little, he who is forgiven little, loves little. You know what Jesus is trying to say to Simon the Pharisee? He's trying to say that nobody has little to be forgiven of. He's trying to say, you're like this woman. He's comparing and contrasting the whole story. He's comparing and contrasting between him and the woman, the whole story. 
So this is the truth. You want to know the key to loving Christ with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength? The key is to always remember that we are the prostitute. We're the woman. We act like Simon from time to time. But we're the woman. Every sinner, when they're forgiven by grace, they are forgiven much. So if you struggle to love the Lord your God with all that you are, take a moment and stop like, My- like Michael Dupree did here. Isn't that powerful? It's not good that we always rehearse all of the sins of our life over and over again. But from time to time, in moments like that, we step back and we say, this is who I was, but this is who Christ is. And this is what he's done. And if you still struggle to love the Lord, then you need somebody to preach the gospel to you one more time to remind you. So my, my, my fellow parents and leaders, how are we going to impact the next generation? Yeah, yeah it's going to be by teaching the, the law of God. There is only one God. But the way that we will impact the next generation, they'll carry on our faith by God's grace, is that we demonstrate for them what it looks like to have undivided Love for the Lord in every area of our life. Amen? Amen. Why do we love much? We love much because we have been forgiven much. Lord, we thank you for that forgiveness. And we don't take it lightly. Lord, may we never take it lightly. Lord, we do from time to time take it lightly. But may may that never be the case. May we always remember who we were and what you've done. God, and may our heart of love for the Lord be what makes the greatest impact on our kids. May it not be the service that we give and the deeds that we do and the, the works that we accomplish. God, may it be our love for you. May we be known as a people of love, not, a, not as a people of works, but of love. That we love, and because we love, we will work, we will do, we will serve. But Lord, may we be known as a people who love you completely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.